0: you can clap for that i appreciate our video guys man and all they do hey good morning open your bibles to luke chapter 2 today luke chapter 2 every sunday as we're going through our series be christmas we're looking at some themes that you've seen highlighted in that video but we're also going to look at a different passage of scripture every single week last week isaiah chapter 9 kind of opened us up to the idea of what it means to worship fully as we focus on this incredible gift Today we're going to look at the story of the birth of Christ and especially focused on the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. So get your Bibles open to Luke 2 and uh, there's always an outline provided to help you if you'd like to follow along and take some notes. All right, all right. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for um, the chance to look at your word together. Thank you so much for the truth of uh, this incredible season and the truth of this incredible gift. So, Father, as we worship you again today, I pray that you would unlock that for us. Help us learn how to kind of push against the culture. Understand our culture, but understand truth and how to to live in light of truth. Help us not just to do Christmas, but to figure out what it means to actually be Christmas. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as I opened our series last week, I gave you all these incredible statistics about how we overconsume, overspend, and how it's out of control. Were you here for that? Did you remember that? And then if I had only read the Washington Post before I came to church. Because Sunday last week, the Washington Post led with this article about Christmas Black Friday sales are down by 11%. You know, so I mean, I don't know if my sermon kind of got out ahead of time and began to change the culture or your spending dipped so much that it changed the national average. I don't know, but Black Friday was down by 11%. And then I got a a little more research. I thought, you know, I wonder what's behind that. So I went to a website called GeekWire, one of my favorite websites. Okay. I never, I never go there, but GeekWire kind of reported this little bit of economic research. It said this, and I quote, Americans put down their forks and picked up their mobile devices this year on Thanksgiving. Fueling new online spending for both Thanksgiving and Black Friday. He goes on to say that, for example, Best Buy's website actually crashed under the pressure of online shopping. Not on Friday, but on Thursday, on Thanksgiving Day. The day that we as a culture set aside to just pause and enjoy family and friends and eat turkey and watch football and say thank you to God became a new shopping day to the tune of $1 billion in online shopping alone. Not on Black Friday, but on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. A couple other stats that uh, it said in the article, it said the reason that Black Friday was a little down was because Black Thursday was up, (laughs) you might say. Thursday was up, and not only Thursday other businesses for example here's one Amazon began offering black friday promotions 28 days before black friday so it kind of came into black november you might say you know so in other words it's just been spread out but overall thursday hit about a billion dollars in um, in spending online only black friday online only hit a new record of 1.5 billion up about 26 percent over the previous year so as a culture i think i thought about canceling today's sermon like we don't really need to think about this spending thing but in light of that i thought you know maybe as a culture we still do kind of struggle question is do we as a culture are we out of focus at christmas because i don't want to be scrooge you know is this just a thing that bothers pastors Because we see that, you know, the focus seems to have shifted off of God's gift for us onto our gifts for others. And I thought, you know, is that something that I'm the only one that notices this? Because I'm a pastor? Sometimes, even people that have no interest in being a pastor see the same thing. Watch this clip from Saturday Night Live.
1: (laughs) It's America. We commercialize everything. Look what we did to Christmas. Christmas Christmas is Jesus's birthday. It's Jesus's birthday. Now, I don't know Jesus But from what I've read Jesus is the least materialistic person to ever roam the earth No bling on Jesus Jesus kept a low profile and we turned his birthday into the most materialistic day of the year. Matter of fact We have the Jesus' birthday season. It's a whole season of materialism. Then at the end of the Jesus' birthday season, we have the nerve to have an economist come on TV and tell you how horrible the Jesus' birthday season was this year. Oh, we had a horrible Jesus' birthday this year. Hopefully business will pick up by his crucifixion.
0: All right, if you want to see the rest of that clip, you can go online, okay. You know, so Chris Rock is not really my favorite theologian, but tell you the truth, sometimes he gets it right, and he says it a lot funnier than I can. So, you know, today we want to take a look. You know, last week we were giving you a preview of the overall series and last week's message, and uh, today we want to kind of go from looking at the big picture to talking specifically about how does the birth of Christ relate to this area of spending and shopping because when most people go to church they don't really think that the application of the sermon will be your life at the mall but today i think there really is a connection and whether it's the cyber mall or down at utc okay so, let's go to the Word and see what we can learn. Last week, Isaiah gave us some great reasons to worship the gift, the child King Jesus. Remember, our logo last week's emphasis was worship fully. That was the emphasis. So today, we're just going to enjoy some time in the Word, look at Luke chapter 2 together, and see as I look at Luke chapter 2, listen for these themes. Last week, it was worship fully. Listen for both worship fully, but also this idea of spending less how do those two themes get reinforced as you just hear the christmas story through that grid so pick it up with me in um, luke chapter 2 verse 1 the kids read the story to you but i want to just read it one more time now in those days a decree went out from caesar augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth this was the first census taken while Corinius was the governor of syria in other words this is history this is known this is obvious this is not just a fictitious religious story this is history and it says in verse 3 and everyone was on his way to register for the census now to understand the backdrop on this let me give you the short version the jewish taxes were usually leveled on people or levied on people as individuals wherever they live so for the jewish tax system you usually paid your taxes in your hometown. But the Romans had a different approach. They taxed on the property that we owned. So therefore it was common in Israel for people in that day to own at least a share of their family's uh, inherited lineage and property. So usually in the hometown that their family uh, group was from, they usually had a share at least of the ownership of that property. So at this time of the year, with the Romans levying this new tax in which you had to go back and pay taxes in your home city, everyone almost would have been on the move. This was like Christmas travel, unbelievably out of control, because everyone was on the move to their home city of their lineage, where their family was from. Uh, One historian writes, for example, this would not have been an easy trip for Joseph and Mary. It would have been a tough trip. They had to go, it said they had to go up to Bethlehem in Judea uh, because they were of that family line. Now, Bethlehem is about seven miles south of Jerusalem. So if you can picture this, and it's a little higher than Jerusalem. So it's a little bit higher, about 2,500 feet above sea level. Now, that maybe doesn't sound really, really high unless you realize how they had to get there because they lived in the far north part of the country in galilee so living in galilee in the far north they had to go south but between galilee and jerusalem and judea was this area called samaria where the jews would almost never travel through all right so basically they had to go from the hill country in galilee and go down to basically almost sea level across the jordan river into what is now uh, probably be Jordan, right, Ryan? Okay, good, Ryan's my uh, Middle East expert over here. I keep him on my right, so just tell me if I'm off. So they had to travel over into what is now Jordan, travel down the east side of the Jordan River, and then cross back over into Judea, and then go back up in elevation to Jerusalem and on to Bethlehem. So it would have been a tough trip. By taking that trip, it would have been approximately about 80 miles, either on foot or some would travel, as we know in our story, with a donkey, some type of beast to help carry the burden, in this case, Mary, late in her pregnancy. So this would have been the essence of the travel. It would have taken, even for a good man, probably about four days. If you go 20 miles a day, that's a long, hard walk, right? And especially if you're taking some provisions in a pregnant wife. So picture the rate at which pregnant wives travel, right? See, my question is, how often does she have to get off the donkey? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know when I used to drive across country with my wife when she's pregnant, it's like, how depressed is your bladder but the reality is that's why it would have been a slow trip that's my point too much information there too much information that's not even in my notes dale stick to your notes the common form of travel in that day also would have been by caravan not individually so all the christmas cards that have mary joseph all along with the donkey traveling along probably you should throw those away but if they're on sale at, you know, discount, use them anyway. But the reality is they would have been probably traveling mixed into a caravan because in, in high holy days like this or days of heavy travel, because of the danger of thieves and robbers, it was much safer to, to link up and find a caravan going to your city, your area. And especially since they were going from Galilee to Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem would have been no shortage of groups being formed up. So they were probably in a group... Traveling with a group, which slows you down a little more. So probably this journey would have taken up to around a week. So now you're picturing right short of delivery time for Mary, traveling donkey back for about a week, probably with a group of of people that they've linked up with. It's not an easy journey. But let's pick it up now as they begin to arrive in Bethlehem. Verse, uh, pick it up in verse 3. And everyone was on his way to register for the census. In other words, man, the roads are crowded. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him. In other words, Mary's family probably had property rights there as well. And while they were there, verse 6, we find the delivery. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths. And the word for cloths is just common uh, strips of linen, very much the same type common strips of linen used in a burial ceremony, by the way, when Jesus was, would later be buried. But these are like no baby clothes available, okay? And just common cloths, and, and, and the baby was wrapped in these, what we have known as swaddling clothes or common cloths, and laid in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now let me just kind of change your thinking a little bit about what happened when this went down. Because what I want us to see, especially as we're listening today, is the simplicity with which God did this incredible miracle that we celebrate. The simplicity with which the King of King and Lord of Lords would come into the earth and come to earth and be born as a baby and grow up to be our Savior. The simplicity... As Chris Rock said, Jesus had no bling. And that was true from his birth. We see the story unfold. He's taken, um, there's no room for them in the inn. Now, I used to kind of picture this even as, well, okay, so they tried to check into whatever the Jewish version of Motel 6 was. And, uh, and there was no room, they're all sold out. So they get to go and be in this nice stable, at least, because you know, my stable looks pretty nice in uh, my you know my nativity set you know it's a little wooden structure how many of you have one of those you have one of those yeah so they, it looks pretty nice my wife keeps it cleaned out there's no manure in it it's very nice smells nice looks nice you know so the reality is i kind of picture that but listen to this article by another historian who studied this issue he said this he says a jewish khan k-h-a-n or n of that day uh, in which travelers often stayed was usually built out of rough stones and generally only a single story in height. It consisted for the most part of a square enclosure in which the cattle could be tied up safely for the night and then an arched recess for the accommodation of the travelers. Now listen how it's described. I love this when I read this. It says it had a paved or or stone floor of the recessed area uh, next to where the animals are kept, is raised up about a foot to two feet off above the ground. And that's obviously for good reason. A larger con uh, or room at the end might contain a series of such small recessed areas, which are in fact low, small rooms with no front wall to them. In other words, they're like a three-sided structure with a back and three sides and a roof over your head. It's built up off the ground a few feet, and, and, uh, and, and it has no furniture. You bring your own uh, uh, rug or carpet if you want to roll something out to lay on or sleep on. No furniture. It's just an, a small enclosed area with no front on it. So if you had a, 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 a larger con or inn, would be built something like this. Imagine a series of those small little open-to-the-front structures all facing out toward a general area where the animals could be kept for safety. And you would pay a very small amount of money as a, as a relatively poor person to rent that space to get out of the weather for the night. So this inn's got no door. It's not even got a front wall. Now, I was just trying to, that really changed my thinking about how I envision what it means when it says there was even no room for them in the inn. Because when I realized the room in the inn is, is very different from the stable that they end up in, the rooms were sold out. <clears throat> As I tried to help you picture this, I just realized that last, oh, a few years ago, I actually spent a full week in such a space very similar i want to show you a picture okay this picture is from 1985 so okay don't laugh too loud okay i'm glad it's fuzzy it's from an old polaroid picture but this is me on the far on your far right uh becky's dad in the middle and my father who's with the lord on the left and in about five i took my five-year-old daughter who's standing on the stump holding her first trout she ever caught on cranberry river in the mountains of west virginia now what i want you to see though is that structure behind but but first of all let me show you what happened last may i did my annual fishing trip i went to the same spot and this is a picture we took (laughs) isn't that kind of interesting But now I'm standing where my dad was, holding the coffee cup just like him. We tried to reproduce the picture. So I'm standing where my dad was. That's me. Becky's brother is standing where her dad was. And my son-in-law, Josh, and my grandson, Caleb, Beth's little boy, age seven at this time, is standing exactly where his mother stood 30 years earlier, holding his first trout. Now, I just think that's cool. Has very little to do with Christmas, but it's cool. Now, now, what does it have to do with Christmas? I'm going I'm to connect it to the sermon, okay? Uh, okay. Uh, you need to see the structure that's in the background, which was there 30 years ago, and it's still there to this day. That's the structure we're standing in front of. Now, if you take about half of that structure, open to the front, nothing but a simple three-walled structure with an open front, raised up off the ground a couple feet, that would have been the room at the inn except it would have probably been built out of stone instead of wood. Very, very similar. So if you want to experience life living in a room at the end, like baby Jesus didn't quite get into, go with me trout fishing to West Virginia. Okay. Now, to get off of that. <laughs> so this is the simplicity of the story. Is I wanted you to see that when that's, that's not where Joseph and Mary slept That's where they couldn't get into, so therefore they had to go outside of that into the stable area with the animals. And history tells us that often these stable areas would be out in the open or they would be tucked away in a cave that might be next to the con. So they are literally sleeping with the animals the night Jesus is born. He was born and laid him in a manger. Let me kind of destroy one more little myth about Christmas. Very few mangers in that part of the world at that time were built out of wood because they had almost no trees. But they had an abundance of limestone. So usually they would actually carve out of limestone a rock food trough to feed their animals. So likely Jesus was laid in a hard limestone food trough. So find one of those. Put it in your manger scene. And again, we're just reminded, every little detail of the story, I want you to keep seeing the simplicity of the story. I want you to keep seeing the lack of any pretense, the lack of any decor, the lack of any baby clothes, the lack of any Christmas lights, the lack of anything except God doing an incredible gift of sending His Son. And then the story gets even simpler because now the very first people that it gets announced to Let's move to the announcement of the story. A messenger from heaven in verse 8 comes and announces it to the shepherds. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And By the way, just notice, the first thing the angel does is he shakes them up. You know, anytime you get confronted with an angelic being, let alone God himself, your natural response is fear, not, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, so the, you know, the, so they're, they're afraid. They're in the presence of, of a supernatural being. And, and they're frightened. And, and the angel knows that. He's been used to that. By the way, earlier he appeared to Joseph, Mary, several other people. Every single person, the first thing they do is get scared to death. So this time the angel, Gabriel, I love the fact that even before they're able to say, "Whoa, we're scared, he starts off. And the very first thing he says to them was he calms them down. And in verse 10, he says this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold i bring you good news of great joy which will be for all the people for today in the city of david there has been born for you a savior who is christ the lord underline those words okay savior christ the lord this will be a sign for you he anticipates that they're going to wonder how do i know this is true Remember, by the way, Joseph and Mary both ask in one way or another, well, but how can this be? How can this be? How do I know this is going to be true? Everyone's asking for a sign. So I think the angel Gabriel kind of gets the trend with us humans that first of all, you're going to announce something way out of their box. They're going to say, can you give me a little proof? You know, I don't want to look like an idiot if I say I believe this. So sure enough, the angel, go. he preempts that. He says, this will be a sign for you. I know you're going to ask for it anyway. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, And and the emphasis, how weird is that? Because I'm telling you that you'll know that this is real because it'll be so out of the ordinary. You don't have babies and just wrap them in cloth and lay them in a food trough. This is really weird. And that's the sign that there's something supernatural going on. And you'll know that we're telling you the truth. And suddenly there appeared... With the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Underline the word peace. We'll come back to that. And then when the angels had gone away, the story kind of progresses from the message to their celebration in verse 17. The celebration is their glorifying God. They go away telling their story in verses 17 to 20. So we don't really need to read that. So the announcement moves from the announcement to the celebration in verse 17. They're excited. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. They told Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph said they treasured these things, pondering them in their heart. Then the shepherds went back, glorifying, praising God for all that that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them by the angels simple, king with no frills, no gifts, because let me pop another little Christmas myth. You say, yeah, but what about the kings from the east, the wise men that show up with these valuable gifts? Uh, if you read the story carefully, and I taught you this last year, I think, the, the indication of that is that they, the kings saw a sign in the sky probably the night Jesus was born. It was, that was probably the sign or the shining they saw And they planned their trip, made their journey. The kings never go to the manger. The kings show up when Jesus is a young child, probably, say, 18 months old, maybe. Probably somewhere between a year to two years old. Which is why, by the way, that King Herod, when he talks to them, interviews them, and then he wants to get rid of the baby Jesus, he doesn't just say, kill all the newborns. He says, kill all the children. How old? Two years old and under. It's because Herod did the math from the story of the wise men. So what I want you to see is this. The first Christmas had no gifts because the shepherds had nothing to bring. They were poor. They had nothing to bring except themselves and their worship and their adoration for Christ. To correct my statement, the first Christmas had one gift, and that was the gift of Jesus. No other gifts. So you need two manger scenes now, and your home. You need a nativity set for when Jesus is a baby. You need a nativity set for Jesus the toddler with the camels and the wise men. Now, that would help boost the economy, right? (laughs) Someone needs to market that so what do we learn from this though so when we talk about be christmas this year what i I decided in the end to title this sermon um great good news and great joy for shoppers because i just couldn't make myself title a sermon spend less because i don't really think that's the essence of the story that may be part of our paradigm this christmas that we want to worship fully spend less give more love all hope you memorized that already but yet the real essence of this story is I think there's real good news of great joy for all of us as we shop. Now as I thought about that, I think there are two key questions that I tried to process in this aspect of our series. And here they are. Number one is why do we, or let me just personalize it, why do I historically overspend as a lifestyle and at Christmas? I think we can probably agree that most of us, to some degree, struggle with overspending. I know very few people that say, you know, Dale, I've never had a debt. I've never had a credit card flow over to the next month. I carry no debt in my life. Everything I own is paid off and I pay cash for it. If that's you, uh, I want, well, raise your hand if that's you, because there's probably a few of you in the room and that's, that's a compliment. That's you. That's great. Praise God. Could you help the rest of us? Yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there may be, I'm going to say that there's about two. Now, let me ask you this. Has that been your practice for all of your life? Now raise your hand. Okay. I needed to get all hands down. Okay. Good. Okay. Oh, really? All your life. Would you clap for this lady? I'm I'm, seriously. No, that's great. That's great. You know, and, and, and obviously scripture itself warns us about the danger of debt. The danger of overspending. The danger of being overstressed about the materialistic side of this holiday. I mean, even Chris Rock gets it. So how do we think about that? Why do we overspend as a lifestyle even more at Christmas? Well, here's my kind of short list. And I'll just kind of pop them off. And you see if any of them apply to you. And I think they all, at one point or another, have applied to my spending. Sometimes I spend too much to impress others. I kind of want to look good. You know, I don't want to look like a loser. I, I want to look like I'm as good as my neighbors and I want to look like I'm as good as you. And, I, you know, I just there's this pressure in our culture that you want to look good, right? So when you see the newer, nicer, better, uh, you kind of kind of want that because it helps me to impress or to look good. Secondly, it helps me to please or to be liked. Sometimes I I don't really care how I look, but I do care of what you think of me and whether you like me. So sometimes there's kind of pressure to to please. And, and I want to please people. And, and thirdly, uh, there's the pressure to find more happiness. And it's pretty commonly taught in our culture that to own is to be happy. To own more is to be happier. Uh, so I tend to equate a lot of my happiness in what I have. Uh, I want to have a certain type of Car, a certain type home, a certain type lifestyle. I want to take a certain type vacation, a certain type trip, and and and, and, and to be honest, most of those things, when I first get them, they actually make me feel a little happier. I, I like that. So this happiness quotient in our life is fed by consumption. Um, now, usually, when I have to begin to pay the bills and they start coming due with with debt attached, especially. And I realize how tight I am financially, or this or that. I lose a little bit of my joy and happiness. You know, so the happiness doesn't last, but it's a short-term boost. Uh, you know, it's like lots of areas of um, of sin in my life. You know, a lot of times Satan tempts us to sin because even the Bible talks about the passing pleasures of sin. So you know, the, even the Bible acknowledges, yeah, sin feels good, makes you feel better for a while, and then it has a downside that can wreck your life. So just realize that it makes me feel happy, so I want to have more, be happier. I, I want to be loved. This is getting more to the root of it, though. I want to be loved. So sometimes I give gifts, especially at Christmas, because I want people to appreciate me. I want people to love me. And if and, and if giving more to other people uh, will help stimulate their love for me, that feels pretty good so i want to be loved Uh, i got two more on my list you probably have a longer one Uh, sometimes i give to return love giving to get even now this one especially sometimes bites me at christmas i mean what's worse than christmas eve i'm not talking about a week before christmas eve someone knocks on your door and some friend, neighbor, or whoever who's never done this before surprises you with a gift. Oh, we just wanted—we wanted, just appreciate you, and we just decided to bring you a little gift. Now, let's be real honest. How many of us just say, wow, thank you, and close the door? So <laughs> you don't do that. So what you do is... Well, if you're like the Burks, you may have a little in the cupboard somewhere, some little gifts that you've picked up at TJ Maxx or somewhere, you know, and and, and they're kind of, uh, these are for the anonymous surprise gifts that we want to give someone out of the goodness of our heart because they give us a gift. And we're not going to be in debt to them. Amen? Anybody else got that drawer in their house? Okay, yeah. And part of that's okay, right? I mean, nothing wrong with having a storehouse of a few little gifts that when you get stimulated to give a gift, you have it handy. But, but sometimes, let's be honest, the motivation is I'm using my gift giving, you know, I'm showing some love or gift giving to stimulate them to love me, or I'm trying to level the score and make sure that I give to whom I receive. In other words, I could summarize this list that a lot of our gift giving is out of a I gotta do it or oughta do it. So it becomes a gotta or oughta part of our life. Now, just in case, you, you know, you're, I, would, I would add one more I didn't put on the list, and that's this. I think sometimes it's just the lifestyle we grew up with. This is how my parents did Christmas. They always do all these events, they always do these things, they always decorate this way, they give these gifts, so I need to kind of do what I saw my parents do. And it's just the lifestyle that we pick up from other people. So all of this tends to, I think, drive us, and yes, indeed, statistically, for most of us, it'll drive us into debt. did a quick check this morning and it said this, 25% increase in consumer counseling requests during January and February. Most of it linked to debt caused by Christmas. The quote in the article said this, Holiday bills haunt consumers like the ghost of Christmas past. 60% of those credit card debts roll over beyond the next month and the next month and the next month pay 15 to 18 percent interest the average balance on the average american credit card after christmas and throughout the year actually is about eleven and a half thousand dollars at that interest rate that's average that's not the high point but the average so how does christmas apply to this i hope you could always already answer that from just hearing the story read but here's my short summary I think it's captured best by the angels the angels in the story that we just read say this how does Christmas free us the angels said three things I bring you good news of great joy I bring you a savior Christ the Lord and I bring you peace on earth and goodwill for all men I bring you good news one author said this if Christmas is done by God, then it's great news about the heart of God. Christmas shows us the passion and the heart of God. It shows us what God is really like. It shows us how He really thinks about us, how much He loves us. It's good news. The gospel is good news because the gospel tells us we have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We have someone who, who has saved us from our sins. A part of that is that He sets us free from our sinful past and we're able to change and be different we have peace with God we are totally at peace with God he loves you just the way you are he's not asking you to buy him anything give him anything at least not to earn his love his love is a free gift just like it was at the first Christmas I'm totally at peace with God just as I am That God loves as I think Ryan said in one of his good sermons this fall, God loves even the messed up me. I think if not, you can get credit for that. God loves even the messed up me. So, And it's it's a gift. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. So as we go into this season, I want you to be thinking, how can I uh, apply this story of Christmas to be Christmas, not just do it as we've always Done it. Now, one thing to help you is we've set up a new blog page for you to go to if you'd like to share ideas about what you've learned and what you're doing right now to apply this worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. There's going to be a new blog page on the website. There's what it looks like. Go there, click that, and you enter your best new ideas and read the ideas that other people are doing. I went on it this morning and posted one thing Becky and I are doing. For example, we're doing the Empower a Hero program with world relief it took me two minutes to go online uh, to the link and to set that up with an automated payment every month and uh, we're given 29 dollars a month to help empower a hero i hope a bunch of you join us in that if god prompts you that direction there's other things you can do with holiday baskets toys etc but when you do that be sure and take your tag uh, even if you do it online come and take a tag off the tree check whether you do a one-time gift or a or a monthly, as we're doing, and put your tag up on the map of Africa. My prayer, if you look over at that map, is that that thing will be filled up by the end of December with us empowering ministry in Africa to the poorest of the poor, helping bring them up out of poverty. I think it's one of the best things we can do to put this into practice. How does the good news of Christ free us? I've actually given you a list at the bottom of your outline. Here it is. It frees me not to have to impress Because in Christ, I am perfected and forgiven. Let me give you a scripture reference for each of these. You can just write them down. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, In Christ, I'm a new creation. And it goes on to say, I become the righteousness of God in Christ. God views me as perfected and forgiven because of the Savior Christ the Lord who gives me peace with God and brings good news. Number two, I'm free not to please. That in Christ, I am accepted and pleasing to God. Romans 8:15. In Christ, I am free to have joy no matter what. I'm going to have you read Philippians 4, 10 through 13 in the encounter, encounters with God this week. Great passage where the apostle says, you know, the real joy in my life is I've learned the secret of being content when I have an abundance and when I have scarcity. I can live with an abundance or I can live in poverty. And as long as I have Jesus Christ, I can be content. And it's really that lack of contentment that drives us to get into trouble at Christmas and other times. So contentment grows out of knowing that in Christ, I'm going to be cared for and I'm okay. And I don't need to buy more than I need to buy or do more than I need to do. I don't need to to please or impress. I find my joy no matter what I have financially i like this one i'm freely loved by his grace romans 4 says our salvation is by grace and it says if you do anything to earn it it's not grace you can't buy it you can't buy it from god so don't use christmas to try to do good works or to give to one of these causes on the map thinking you're buying something from god god gives his love by grace that's liberating I'm free, therefore, to love others by grace as a gift. And I can't run out of it. Isn't that cool to think that I have an unlimited capacity for gift giving? See, this sermon series, at first I thought, Dale, I'm going to sound like a Scrooge taking the fun out of giving at Christmas. Quite the opposite. I think what I learned is, when I learned that the best gifts are gifts that maybe you don't spend a dollar on, but you give yourself. You give your time. You give your presence with a person instead of your present to a person and you just say you know as the gift i'd like to take you out for coffee and let's enjoy the afternoon together and that's my christmas gift to you or may, maybe i can do something with my kids and 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 that you know but i don't have to be i don't have to be out buying everything but the type of love that we give to people throughout the year and especially at christmas is the type of love gift that you don't run out of I have an unlimited capacity to be more generous, not less. And then I'm free to enjoy what I call want to, love to, acts of generosity. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2-5. through So in Christ, I'm free to actually give more, but also enjoy it. So this year, you are free. He says, I bring you good news of great joy. You have a Savior in Christ the Lord. You're at peace with God and with others. And and the reality is, out of that, we can experience the freedom to really enjoy Christmas even more and avoid the downside of the hangover of the death that follows. But it's all linked to knowing what Jesus did on the cross that first Christmas. So we're going to transition right into uh, just about a 10-minute season of communion as we wrap up our, our series today, our sermon today. And I'd like to kind of help you to make that connection. Uh, so as the band comes to lead us in some worship, uh, I want you to listen. In fact, I don't even want you to sing. I want you to sit and pray and reflect on how the simplicity of the gift of Christ who grew up to be our Savior, Christ the Lord, went to the cross, died for our sin, frees you to enjoy God, enjoy one another, enjoy Christmas with a new sense of simplicity, with your focus on worshiping fully around the cross over in the corner. We're going to bring it to you today, so stay in your seat. We'll bring you the elements, the bread, the cup, sit, reflect on how they represent the the body of Christ, the blood of Christ given for you, and in a moment we'll partake together. As Paige sings, and this is a song about Christmas, I want you to listen to the words and sit quietly in worship. Amen.